Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys i want to tell you about a great sponsor i have bompus they're premium high performance athletic socks and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off and because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased bompus donates one pair of those to those in need almost one million pairs donated to date 15 percent off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you're a first-time listener, thank you very much. This means a lot to me. You can go to my Feral Audio uh, page and check out some of the past guests I've had and listen to more shows is what I'm asking you to do. Or maybe I'm commanding it. If you're an old-time listener and you've been listening to me for the whole two years or whatever, thank you for uh, for hanging in there. I appreciate it. Um Today's episode is awesome. That's there. I said it. I'm not going to hide it. It's a great show. I um speak with Linda Torado who has written this book um Hand to Mouth Living in Bootstrap America which I I believe is uh it's a fucking important book and it's about her life in poverty and why people in poverty do some of the things they do and what it is like to uh to be poor i feel like we've really uh we have lost compassion for poor people we've become a very classist society and i think you know was, we talk about a lot of this in the episode but like you know it's like if if a hurricane hits a city we all gather around and help people cuz they lost everything they own and they lose jobs and things like that and we we try to help them out but if somebody gets flooded by 10 people or 10 people lose out on a flood we kind of like yeah whatever and we talk we talk about that on the show but i just i'm just trying to illustrate to you the importance of this uh conversation i have and it's to to read her book is like 
I've been poor. I've I've grew up fairly poor as a kid. We, you know, we'd eat frozen waffles and shit for dinner. And, uh, of course, as a kid, you don't really, you're just like, awesome, man. I'm eating Eggos for, for dinner. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's like, as a kid, you don't really know. But anyway, I'm no stranger to and uh, being broke. And I, I've had, had a couple times in my life where I have been really poor. And I think people don't understand what it means to uh, maybe know, not know where you're going to sleep tonight or if you're going to have an apartment next month. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's not an easy existence, but somehow we've fobbed it off in our society as well. If you're poor, you're lazy, and that is just not the case. And Linda really sheds a great light on that in her book and goes into detail of what it's like to be a poor person. And uh, the book is at times very funny, and at times it's enraging. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes would have to stop reading it because I was pissed off. But you should be pissed off. This is the kind of shit we should be pissed off about because we should fix this in our very wealthy society. There is no need for poverty. There, I said it. Um, this quite possibly could be the last episode of uh, the 2014 year. I might be talking with Jerry Stahl again next week, so I might throw that up New Year's Day. Um, Jerry Stahl is a regular on my show and a fucking awesome dude. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been a really incredible year. I've, I feel like, um, at the top of la uh, this year, I, I really hit the stride with my show and sort of found who I like to have on. And, and it's just really been incredible. I'd like to thank Dustin Marshall for, uh, all his support and help and who gets these shows up on feral audio. Um, I've just, I've talked to, like, the fact that I got to talk to Jerry Stahl, Paul Ballantyne, uh, Rodney Anonymous from The Dead Milkman, and Danny Bland again. Uh, so many great authors and people have ch just said yes to doing my show, and it really means a great deal. I feel loved, everybody. Um, it is the holiday season. I say that, though, because, but somebody might listen to this episode in January, and it might not be so. But I'd, regardless, I say happy holidays to you, because... I'm enjoying my holidays this year because I have a girl in my life, which I used to not have. I used to just sit alone on Christmas and drink and think I wasn't lonely. <laughs> but I was lonely. Then I got a dog, and I felt slightly less lonely. And then I got a girlfriend, and then we got a dog. So now I got two dogs and a girl. And uh, I there's times where I wish I was lonely because I constantly have dogs nuzzling in my balls. But whatever. Uh, I'm going to get on with this conversation because I feel it's very important. And I, uh, Linda is fucking awesome. It's a great chat. I usually don't swear in the intro, but I did today. Let's listen to Linda Torado and I talk. That's what I was curious about when I was reading the book. I was wondering uh, how how conservatives responded to this, and if if uh, yeah, I'm uh, yeah. I was just curious if anybody has like sort of attacked you on a conservative side. Oh yeah, there's a fantastic reason article um, that that basically blames me for poverty, like myself, um, because I'm a malingerer. 
Uh, and then I want to say it was the National Review said I was the reason that Jesus didn't want poor people to have food stamps. Um, so, you know, there's that. But, you know, on the other hand, that was before the book. That was all kind of uh, initial reaction. Um, and I haven't had really much conservative critique of the book itself because I didn't get into any policy or any, you know, specific instructions. It's just very, like, the situation is untenable, and here are all of the reasons why. Um, and and uh, it's kind of hard to critique that on anything but a class basis. What I have seen is an awful lot of upper-class folks critiquing the book like mad. Like, it hasn't come down to a partisan divide. It's been a class divide. Like, if you read my reviews... Um, most everybody who's like, you know, I've been working class, this book is fantastic. And then you've got people that are fairly pedigreed saying, but she's so angry in that last chapter, dude, I just, you know, I don't see what bridges she's trying to build. And I go, this is amazing because you have spectacularly missed the point if you think I'm building bridges anywhere. Um, that is not my job. And nor is it a thing that I feel particularly inclined to do. Like, I'm, I'm very sorry that my book about why I refuse to apologize isn't apologetic enough for you guys. But I feel like you're going to live through this one. Like, this one, you'll survive. It'll be fine. It was amazing, too. I saw one article where it was, I guess, sort of criticizing you because, like, you had – like some things about your childhood where they're like, she played a lot of musical instruments and went on a trip to Europe. It's like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? Like I was completely baffled. Um, yeah, well, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not properly poor. I, I don't wear my hair shirt properly. I, I was not raised barefoot in Appalachia I, by a single mother, I, you know, all of these things. Uh, and, and what it comes down to, I think, is that I, I'm too close to home for a lot of people. Um, that the idea that we can have active duty military personnel on food stamps, that we have adjunct professors in homeless shelters, um, you know, these are things we hear about, but we always think, oh, well, they must have spectacularly done something wrong. Like, we, we have to blame them for the situation. And so to have somebody stand up and be like, eh, it's a little more systemic than that, guys. Like, it really, like, I'm not going to claim I'm a saint. I never have. I never will. But, uh, you know, my mistakes, the, the, the choices that I made that, that turned out to be bad in retrospect, have generally been the best decision working on the information that I had at the time. And also, they wouldn't have turned out spectacularly poorly had I had the resources to cushion them. Like, I get a lot of crap for, uh, you know, having dropped out of school. But I was really young and not at all mature enough to handle uh, college by myself. Um, and I was just doing really poorly in classes. So should I have kept throwing money at it and hope that I grow up next semester again? Or, you know, was it a wiser decision to take some time off, go to work, and then come back when I was ready? Um, you know, and could I have foretold that that wouldn't have happened? Absolutely not. I just figured I'd take a year or two, go do some internships, get some money, work, and then I'd go back to school and, and do life on the same kind of year scale as everybody else. I figured I'd graduate with my degree at maybe 23, 24, um, which isn't really that weird. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's like, it's not like college was the way, it's not like it is the way it was in like the 70s where it was like relatively affordable. It's like, you can 
fucking be majorly in debt for the rest of your life just for going to for college. It's like absurd. Yeah, dude, actually, I'm still in debt from those, you know, 16 and 17 year old years. Um, and I went to a cheap local school. Um, so, so that's the kind of level we're talking about where, you know, did I want to be 30,000 in debt instead of 15? Because that's what I was staring down. And I think that I honestly, I think it was a wise decision to drop out when I did. Um, because I, I think that no matter how much talent I have at learning things, I was not ready for a college and institution like that. Um, and, and I think it would have been throwing good money after bad. So, you know, another thing I take a lot of crap for is, well, how dare you have children when you were that poor? And, and the answer to that is, well, as it turns out, you can't map a timeline of somebody's life based off of a couple of paragraphs you read that one time. Um, because the only reason we became desperately poor is that the, the GI Bill my husband was promised didn't pay out. When we, we found ourselves pregnant, we thought, okay, so the thing to do is to get him back in school, and then we get a living stipend, and that's nice and stable, and we'll just be a little bored through college like a lot of people, raise a young family, he'll graduate, he'll have a job, it's great. Um, and, you know, instead, the government went, hey, screw you, uh, um, and, and we never did get the stipend, so we both wind up living in, you know, a motel, we're working at Burger King, um, and then a catastrophic flood comes through and wrecks everything we own because we're living in the cheapest apartment we could find while we're waiting on this GI Bill money to come through. So, you know, I get attacked for, for this decision that I apparently affirmatively made uh, to know that I was going to be desperately impoverished in six months and, and carry on the pregnancy anyway. And the funny thing I think about that is that a lot of the people that attack you for that decision are the same ones that are going to say and also don't have an abortion. And also don't have access to birth control. Um, and, and when that's the logic, I'm just going, hey, sex is free, guys. So if you don't want me to buy an Xbox and you don't want me to have a flat screen, <laughs> but you also don't want me to get laid, then I fail to see what you want me to do for entertainment. Like, <laughs> it's. Did I lose you? No. Oh, no. Uh, it's amazing to me because well, I was saying that while you're talking about your flood and all these mishaps in your life that put you. It's like when it happens on a large scale, like a hurricane or something, everyone's like, oh, let's help these people out. All oh, these poor people. Of course, we kind of dragged our ass on, on New Orleans a little bit, but it was. We're like, but when it's an individual person, when it's just one person having hardship, we're just kind of like, oh, well, uh, too bad. Like, like we, we look down on them. It's really strange to me that we don't have the same compassion on an individual level as a society. I think we like to believe in meritocracy. Um, and, and there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there where you can't believe in meritocracy unless you believe that failures fail on their own. And, you know, acts of God are acts of God. What I would ask is what's the difference between a hurricane that affects 20,000 people and a summer storm that affects 10, which is how I wound up being flooded. It's still like the same rain, dude. Like, do you not understand evaporation and clouds? And I mean, that—it's literally—it's—it's it's third grade science here. Um, and and while I am a powerful, majestic woman that's capable of many things, controlling the weather isn't one of them. Um, so, you know, it, it really—it comes down to how comfortable are you with the notion 
that luck and circumstance have as much to do with your outcome as anything that you have control over. And I think that um, the the wealthier you get, the more illusions of control you have. Um, where where if you have just sort of been raised to where all of the problems are naturally smoothed for you, um, then then you're more inclined to believe that the problems that you have solved for yourselves are legitimate problems, but the other people just aren't figuring out how to get past their things. Like I had, um, if you go to the Slate article, Slate excerpted a, a part of my book, um, and, and one of the explanations that I gave was if, if a toaster is $10, the cheapest one, and a, a really good one is $30, I'm going to wind up spending 50 bucks on a toaster over a couple of years because I'm just going to keep buying the $10 one because I ain't got an extra $20 on top. Um, and instead of taking that as, as kind of random hyperbole or a random example, there's actually a thread that you can find where people were wondering how I could ever have felt entitled to something as extravagant as toast. And they started, you know, well, why didn't she just use her oven? Or why didn't she bend a wire hanger and use, like, the flame off her stove? Like, and, and I'm thinking, okay, clearly you've never been poor because, A, your oven takes up more energy than any single appliance in your house, so you're an idiot to use it to make toast. And secondly, I have small children. I don't think that bending wire hangers and heating them is really going to be great uh, for for that whole raising my children. And I'm betting you if I did that and my kids burnt themselves somehow and I take them to the ER, you're going to go, what kind of a terrible parent are you to be heating up metal over your stove? Um, you know, so it, it's you, you can't win, but it, it really comes down to meritocracy. Um, and meritocracy, by the way, is a term that was popularized in a dystopian novel in the mid-century. Um, and and the, the point was that a meritocracy, a pure meritocracy, is possibly one of the worst outcomes for a society to have because it means that if you don't have a skill that is valued by the society at that moment, you're essentially human garbage. So I like to point that out, too, where maybe, maybe we don't want to be a meritocracy, guys. Like, maybe we don't want that. Dystopian novels, no way to structure a society. I was when I was reading the book I was I I was trying to figure out I'm like when did we become a society that looks so down on people who are impoverished it's like like we it I remember like a, a few years ago it was like people would always make trailer park jokes and it's like oh what do you, like like it was humorous and I was like these aren't fucking people who want to live you know it's like that's what they have to have to have that's what they can afford it's like why are we mocking people who are cannot afford something better and we assume they're dumb and we're we assume they're lazy and they're and it's like it's not the case you know i don't think it's new i think um if if you go and and read back like george orwell wrote a book uh called down and out in london and paris and in it, he talks about how poor people in, in the early 1900s were judged really harshly, and, and of course it's an English book, um, for buying tinned meat and beans and twists of tea and aspirin, which were the luxury items of the day. And um, 
there, there, he, he kind of addressed, he, he wrote essentially the same thing I did where, you know, like, look, if you're working these jobs, you come home, sometimes you just want some tea, man. It's cool. You're allowed that. Um, I think what's changed, though, is that we used to value work and we have really devalued labor. So instead of saying, oh, you're a janitor, and, and maybe we think of them as, as maybe a little simple, but probably decent, hardworking folks, now we look at janitors and go, wow, you just must be a waste of space, because we've devalued what a janitor does, and we've, we've, we've disconnected that from our economy mentally, because we, we're going to need janitors. Like, look, you can't have a nation full of CEOs and engineers. It's just not going to work. Who's going to change their sheets and do their dry cleaning and clean up the offices? Um, we, we need these service industry jobs. Um, but we used to look at people who were very poor and go, well, I mean, at least you're working. And that was, that was the minimum. Like, as long as you're out there working, everything was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, jobs were a little more plentiful then, and when you went to work for a company, you would expect to work for them for 10 or 20 or 40 years and retire. Um, you know, the, the nature of work has changed, and our attitudes have not. Yeah, that's it, because also what made me think is, like, these companies, companies have no loyalty to employees anymore. I used to do uh, corporate comedy, and I used to hear people say, like, Oh, I just love blah, blah, blah company. It's like we're a family. I'm like, they will fucking cut you the second they need to save money. <laughs> it's like like I was, A, perplexed by people's loyalty to their companies and the belief that they these companies would take care of them when you can be like 50 and suddenly you have no pension and or job and th think, you know, after dedicating your life to a company. Yeah, it freaks me out a little too. I mean, the beautiful thing about the way I came up is that it was so abrupt. Like, they, they literally took me from the kitchen and said, you, go to New York and meet with, like, incredibly swanky people and let them give you a book deal and then go to the White House and hang out with those guys. Um, and, and so, like, to go from, from being in the kitchen to being a patron of, of restaurants that I, I never would have even dreamed of working in the kitchen of uh, has, has been really instructive. But I see this crazy loyalty, and I, I think to myself, I don't understand where you get that from uh, because you work for a bank, dude. Have you— <laughs> Have you seen what you do for a living? Like, has anybody actually told you anything about this? Because I feel like mm, you're kind of, um, and it, it actually makes me a little angry. Um, because if that's as savvy as the wealthy are, then why the hell are they the ones getting rewarded for their brains? I, I just, <laughs> I, I can't quite wrap my head around it where I'm like, but you're, you're supposed to be smarter than me, man. Like, you were supposed to be the savvy one in this situation. I'm supposed to be the rube from bumfuck Utah, all right? Like, um, and, and it, it's, it's, been, it's been hugely entertaining, actually, um, to, to kind of watch uh, how people work. Like, I just saw my first sycophants a couple of days ago. 
that had never happened to me before. I was at a, a, a little meeting, uh, and I did not. I, I I so often don't know who I'm talking to until after, um, and and so I'm talking to this guy, and we're discussing, you know, kind of broad media plans. And the next thing I know, we're surrounded by a circle of all of these people who are just grinning like madmen and nodding their heads like marionettes. And and this guy is not really saying anything of substance. Like the words, there's no there there. He's <laughs> he's just he's just talking in buzzwords at this point. And I found it hugely entertaining. And then the guy leaves, and everybody goes, "Oh my god, that was great! I can't believe he liked you so much." And I'm like, "Who was that?" And they're like, ah, "He runs the major media organization." I was like, "Oh, good." Um, because I had just insulted him and all the work he'd ever done to his face. Uh, it was it was a fantastic time was had by all. Um, but I, I legitimately, these are intelligent people, and I watched their brains just shut off so that they could grin and nod at this dude saying buzzwords. And I'm like, I don't understand what you people do for a living. Like, I really don't. How how can you function like this and, and feel okay about yourself at the end of the day? And uh, it, it was it was just all of these things are hugely instructive. Um, but what I realized is that a good portion of, of this, this sort of work um, really is just being in front of the right people enough that they get used to seeing your face and then they assume you belong there and then they give you a job. Um, and, and I can't believe that that's how the world works, but there you are. Yeah, I mean, I've. I think about myself, and I'm like, I really don't have any training. And, like, I could never be a part of the real world because I've been a bumbling idiot my whole life. But, like, if I didn't know people and sort of – that's the only thing that's kept me sort of from ever being in poverty, and I've been pretty goddamn close. And Yeah, you can be a bumbling idiot and still do pretty well for yourself, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had a couple presidents that were absolute bumbling idiots, in fact. But I'm I've, I've met a couple of CEOs. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, is that strange now that you because you are now associating with a lot of these people, I would say more than before. Is it do they I don't know. I like do they treat you differently because they're like, oh, well, now you've you've jumped to the other side type of thing. Does that make sense? What I'm going for there? I have. Absolutely no idea because I really hadn't hung out with any CEOs ever, uh, so I, I couldn't tell you the difference. What I can say is that um, it depends on how I'm introduced. If somebody goes, hey, this is Linda Toronto. She wrote this piece about poverty, and she came up from the working class. She's got this book now. Um, then I seem to get kind of a pass to be the court jester. Uh, where I am allowed to say weirdly uncomfortable things and everybody just kind of pats me on the head and goes, well, she doesn't know any better, um, which which I exploit to dramatic effect whenever possible. Um, but if, if I'm not introduced, if it's just me and some people, I'm, yeah, I'm given a lot more respect than I would have been. And that's really a function of, well, I do enough TV now um, and, and enough media appearances that I try to keep my hair cut in a reasonable shape, and I'm not wearing polyester, and I don't smell like French fries. And so they don't have any reason to think that I don't belong in that space. The other thing that I found is you're allowed to be as eccentric as you want to be. Like, nobody cares. You can be as weird as you want to be, and as long as you belong in the space, everybody is like, well, it's not my cup of tea, but, you know, whatever, you'll have that. Um, 
which which has been hugely interesting to me. Um, I, I don't take uh, many days off at this point because I don't actually understand what I do for a living. It doesn't feel like work, so I can never really justify a day off. Um, and, and I've got a lot of people going, honey, you need to take a vacation. This is all so much. And I'm thinking, I have not broken a sweat in a year. <laughs> like, I've been on vacation. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Um, and and it, it really makes people angry, actually. I've had to learn to be very, very careful about how I phrase that um, because saying I haven't done any real work since I've been doing your job, uh, for some reason, angers people. They, they don't like that. Um, but, and I've had to be very careful to say, like, well, I don't do labor anymore. Like, I work, I, I have projects, like, I'm putting effort in, I, you know, it's complex, difficult, whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm not cleaning public restroom floors. So, to me, that's work. What I do now is, like, talk on the radio to people who think I'm entertaining, and I don't really see how I justify that as anything like a real job. Yeah, I, that's the great thing about your book is it points out, like, I don't, people always, like, complain about uh, fast food workers or even the employees at Best Buy, and it's like you, you say in the book, like, you don't know how d demeaning and how hard those jobs are. So it's like, and how many other jobs these people probably have to make ends meet. And <laughs> right. I, I mean... And how they wake up in the morning even like if you wake up and the first thing you see is a dingy ceiling with like cracks in it man that's not a great way to start your day yeah it's uh i mean i've lived in some pretty getaway situations in my life and it's like when you're surrounded by you know i've you know i've had bed bugs and all those kind of things and it's like <laughs> when you wake up in that situation and you can't g get out of it it's pretty fucking hard to walk around all day and pretend you give a shit about some guy who's buying, you know, a $5,000 television. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and what got me actually is like, look, if you're buying a $5,000 television, I kind of expect you to think that you have a big dick and to throw it around. Like that actually fits into the idiom. What always got me are people who would like come in with all of the coupons in the world and then get annoyed. And I'm like, look, dude, you are literally doing as little to, to contribute here as possible. Um, and you're a giant pain in my ass. Stop it. Uh, but you can't say that. You, just, you can never say that. It's, it's always the ones kind of in the middle that got me, like the ones who clearly were kind of my people out on, on whatever for their anniversary or just in, in general. But then they would act like they were throwing their weight around. And I'm like, listen. Flies and honey, sweetheart. Flies and honey. Um, but, you know, and, and I guess the, uh, the flip side of that is, well, I mean, if we're going to value lording that stuff around, then why wouldn't you do that if you're out on the lark? Like, can you really condemn that? Or maybe that person just really needed to feel like they were king of the world for a day. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard, to, hard to parse, I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's such a... Class has become such a constant in our society that I think a lot of people, like, I work at a bar sometimes, and I have people talk to me like I'm a fucking dick. The great thing about my bar is I could tell them to go fuck themselves, <laughs> like customer service. That's, 
I've always loved bartending for just that reason. Like, man, you run that place if you're the bartender. Oh, oh, did you want a good drink or did you just want the bare fucking minimum? Because come on and push me some more. Yeah, but I feel like people are so kind of demoralized just almost on a daily basis because we're felt we're kind of made to feel like shit if we're not successful. And it's like, I think people, so people just want to lash out at other people because they had it all day. So it makes them feel better. Like it's this weird, does that make sense? Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I definitely actually, I put an episode like that in the book where I, I went to a store and I, I really didn't mean to do it. I just had been pushed so far all day long and I was exhausted and I walked the, like the length and breadth of this entire damn Walmart, like three times and I finally looked at this woman who worked there, and, and I meant to say, hey, where's the baby section? And what came out of my mouth was, where the fuck did you people hide the diapers? <laughs> and, like, it was, she just kind of was looked at me and was really shocked. And I just, I, I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, so those things happen. And you have to give, uh, you have to give people space for that and credit for that where, they're probably not trying to be a dick. They just really can't help it. They're too tired. Um, and, and it's been really actually kind of interesting. That's another thing that's happened since I've uh, kind of switched, you know, the, the class spaces that I run in is that I can't help but thank service workers like 30,000 times. Like, I will thank a waitress four times by the time she leaves my table, even if she's just like, oh, do you need water? I'm like, oh, my God, that's so sweet of you. Thanks. And everybody looks at me like I've grown a third head. And and I'm thinking, but none of you are ever going to thank her. So I got to do it for everybody. Um, and and it's been really interesting to kind of see where where in, in the very nice areas like in the kind of world where you're going to studios and they send you a car um service workers are meant to be unobtrusive um and and it's a whole different class of service work even than i ever experienced because i was in like chain diners and like ihop and denny's level you know i'm talking people that that work in in places that have michelin stars and and they really go out of their way to be incredibly unobtrusive and kind of part of the wallpaper and just provide these services without getting the recognition and it really hurts me deep inside um because i don't really know how to deal with it like i feel like i need to say thank you but then calling them out is sort of like saying that they're not unobtrusive somehow like i haven't worked out but at one hotel um when i did the mar um, they, they put you up in the nicest hotel I have ever seen in my entire life, like nicer than any, uh, nicer than, than any place I've ever lived. Uh, like the, the bathroom had two rooms in it kind of deal. And they asked me, do you want turndown service? And I didn't know what it was. So I said, no. Um, and then I find out later, like they come and hold your robe for you. And I'm like, I can dress myself, guys. Like, I don't need anybody to come help me dress myself for bed. That's a little creepy. Um, and then after, I, I was talking to somebody about it, and he's like, well, you know, that's actually their job. Like, if you don't take advantage of the services, then you're, you're not creating work, and then these people won't have jobs. And I had never really thought about that. Like, maybe they're not, maybe some people aren't being entitled. They're trying to make sure that I have work to do. Like, it's, it's like the worst math assignment ever. That's, uh, yeah, that's a good point, because I, every time I'm in a hotel, I, f my working class bullshit guilt, like, I feel, when somebody wants to take my bags, I feel 
terrible. <laughs> and I always, yeah. say, I always say no. Oh my God, the drivers. Um, because when you do major, like major media, they send a car for you half as kind of a, hey, thanks, you know, nice perk, and have to make sure that you make it to the studio on time because they, they want to be sure that you're there. Um, and and I, I just get my own luggage, dude. I got two toddlers, and I come, like, I just get my own luggage. And it drives, it, like, it drives people insane. They don't know what to do with it. Like, they feel like they're not doing their jobs, and I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I'm an author. This is all books, like. I literally can't ask you to do this for whatever amount of money you're getting paid. Like, it's not worth the back injury. Let me take that risk. And and it's really kind of a weird, uh, weird, uncomfortable thing for me still, where I, I, I literally don't know what to do with it. I just, I really don't. Um, but as it turns out, I'm one of the more talkative riders. So the, most people, I guess, get in these cars, and then they pretty much stay on their phones and don't talk to the drivers at all. Um, and it's been funny because I've got, it, it turns out that the vast majority of people driving, um, you know, they're, they're engineers, they're PhDs. There's like, I had a guy that was a doctor and it's just not worth it um, to, to do those jobs because they make more money driving rich folks around trying to get them to the studio on time, which is really weird. Every time I take an Uber, I, I talk with the guys because usually I mean, they have a story, and they I, I've had a number of people who had really great jobs, and for whatever reason, they went to shit, and now they either, you know, they have to drive an Uber, and I think it's a, a sort of a statement of, like, what your book was, you know, people can lose things with a PhD, with any position in life, you can end up fucking broke, and... There, it's just strange to me that we lack a compassion for people who who end up poor, and it's not always their fault, and it's it's maddening to me. I really don't understand, actually, what gets me every time is how people who are in charge of the markets and, like, their their job is really to understand how finance works and how the economy works don't understand that if there are fewer jobs than there are applicants, some people will be unemployed. I just feel like, like that should be the base. Like if you are savvy enough to hold even an, a, anything that says manager in the title, you should understand how numbers work. Um, and, and if you don't understand how numbers work, you should be a janitor um, no, you need to know chemistry for that. Okay, if you can't do numbers, you sh I, I don't know what you do if you can't do numbers, but you shouldn't be in management. I mean, as far as I, I can't think of actually a single low-wage job that I've had where you didn't need to have math skills. Yeah, the Maybe that's the trouble. Maybe we're just kicking all of the people that can't do arithmetic up because there aren't any jobs on the bottom for them. That must be – that's the uh... – the uh fuck balls. My point left my head, and it, um, <laughs> oh, oh, I was just the, the subsidies we t that you talk about in your book. That was the because you talk about like it's people are shamed when they get food stamps and welfare, but yet we'll kick shit up to the corporation. You know, we'll pay for an entire fucking football stadium to be uh, built, but yet we we'll gripe about when we people get welfare. You know what gets me is business lunches. Like, I, I, it drives me up a wall. Like, look, it's still free food. It is free food from the American taxpayer. 
And just because it comes nicely grilled with a vodka sauce doesn't make it not free food from the American taxpayer. You know what else we can't write off? Liquor. We don't write off, we can't buy alcohol on food stamps, but you can get a martini and write it off, and that's totally cool somehow. Like, I, I legit don't understand how you work that out in your brain. Um, and and it drives me a little up a wall, and I spend a lot of time asking people, like, so explain to me what the difference is. They're like, well, you know, it's a business expense. Okay, explain to me how it's different. Like, I don't, I, I literally do not see a distinction. Oh, well, you know, capitalism and turning the wheels, and we're actually doing work, and I'm, okay. Explain to me how it's different. <laughs> um, and nobody can. I guess if you use the phrase business, it just give you you can say you you could say it's business and then just be a complete asshole to somebody and it's totally acceptable. It's like it's a, I mean that kind of seems to be the thing actually. Yeah. And it's like it's interesting the point you make in the book too about like uh drugs. Like poor people are drug addicts and they're lazy, but you know then the rich are just they have rehab centers and for somehow that makes it more acceptable or not a problem for society. It's just so bizarre how we just so have such a different set of rules for poor people. You know, and, and actually I've talked about that with a lot of folks too. Um, and it's where the heaviest criticism is, is the vices. Um, and a lot of people will say, well, if you can afford a vice, then it's fine. I mean, cause then you're not, you're not burdening. Nobody's having to pay for that for you. That's just your vice. Um, and, and what cracks me up about that is, well, okay, I will tell you that that is true the second you stop taking any money from the government. Um, but as long as the government's paying the interest on your mortgage, then that's money that you're, you know, displacing in the same way that I'm displacing my food money, where it's money you would have had to spend, but then the government was like, no, 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 we're going to take care of that for you. And you're like, that's fantastic. Now I have this extra money over here. Um, and and I just, I, I really fail to see the distinction. Nobody's been able to explain it to me, but I do I do know that, that a lot of people see one there, um, which actually kind of sounds to me like rationalization. Um, but as we all know, the only people who have human feelings are poor people, so it couldn't possibly be rationalization. That would be, that would not be right. It's like it, it, poor people are the only ones we're allowed to be bigoted towards, and, and like that's totally fine. You couldn't have that attitude towards a race or a religion, but for poor people, you could look down on them and talk shit about them, and it's completely accepted in our society. Yeah, well, I mean, and the thing is, is that there are poor people who absolutely do deserve their poverty. There are lazy people. There are useless people. There are, you know, all sorts. The difference is, and, and the message that I keep trying to send is there are lazy rich people. There are stupid rich people. There are people who behave badly in all of the classes. Um, but we don't hold the very wealthy accountable for what their peers do in the same way that we do the very poor. Um, and, and there's even something to be said for like, look, we concentrate on the Koch brothers like it's the cool thing to do. And they're not representative of all the wealthy people. We have Nick Hanover um, or Hanauer, who's just as wealthy, who's like pretty much on a lifelong mission to make sure that, uh, thank you, um, 
he's on a lifelong mission to make sure that we understand that plutocracy is a terrible, terrible, awful thing, and nobody should count on him to create all of the jobs in the world. Um, so it definitely is a thing that that we can't lump everybody together. I don't, I don't know what you want. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's different, I think. Um it's it's kind of the same as racism, where, like, you have all of these people arguing, like, well, you can't lump all white people together, right? Like, not all white people or not all men, um, because there, there are certainly examples of good and bad in, in any power structure. The difference is it's funny when you punch up. And if you're punching up, whoever the privileged person in the room is better damn well be able to take it on the chin because they're going to go home and cry into their privilege. Um <laughs> You know, and, and it really is just that, where I, I have a feeling your billions of dollars are going to take care of your hurt feelings that some poor person made a joke about you. Um, and honestly, the last chapter of the book, oh, my God, the response to that. So many people, like, well, she just wants all rich people together. And I'm like, it is clearly a joke. The entire chapter is a giant joke. It was funny to me, and I put it in my book. Maybe a pointed joke, but you know, like, come on, dude. Yeah, You're- that's the the one thing too that I had while uh, thought while reading your book is that it's you know, we seem to have the belief that we have a lot of workers' rights in this country, and it clearly becomes obvious that we don't really like the fact that you have to ask someone to use the restroom to me just seems like an absurd notion or that uh, I believe it's called right to that where you sign those things where they can just pretty much fucking fire you for anything. These things are completely absurd to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people think that you have a legal right to take a break in America. You don't. There is no federal mandate that says that you get a break at work, no matter how many hours you work. Um, there are a couple of, of specific industries in which you're mandated breaks, like trucking and farming, um, things where, you know, if you're overtired, you could literally kill somebody. Uh, but, you know, working at a restaurant or just as a secretary, that you have no right to a break. That's all dependent on the whims of your employers. Um, and beyond that, we have the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. We have you know, work med and all of these things that are supposed to uh, supposed to help workers if, if they do have protected rights being violated, like OSHA, find me the idiot who's going to turn their boss in for a wage violation. If they need the money that their bosses are screwing them out of, they definitely can't afford an attorney and they sure as hell can't afford to lose their job. So, so the system isn't really set up to protect workers no matter how well-meaning they were when they set up the protections. Like, you can have all the laws and all the books you want, but if nobody's going to turn anybody in and nobody's going to enforce them, then why bother? It's just, uh, you know, so that people can feel better about knowing these laws are on the books. Yeah. I just, I wish that everybody in the country, like some countries have that you have to join the military for three years. I wish we would have to make people wait tables and work in a fast food restaurant so they could get a concept of how fucking grueling and demeaning it truly is. <laughs> you know, I on one hand, yes, I'm with you. And on another, I really don't want to have any more people come up to me and tell me that they understand exactly what I was talking about because they spent two years working as a waitress. 
And I'm like, mm, were you living with your mom and dad with a credit card they paid for? Because unless you've done it, at, you know, nearing 30 with a couple of kids, mm, it, it's a little different. Um, so that's been, that's actually been fairly interesting to me, too, where you get a lot of people coming up and going, oh, I feel your pain. I'm like, do you really? Because I feel like you were 18 when you did that. You had so much energy. You had so much energy. I remember being 18. Oh, yeah. I could go for hours. I don't, I mean, I'm in my 40s, and I still bartend, and it's, there are times, and I mean, I I have to say, I have it pretty easy at this bar, and I have a decent, life, but like physically, I'm like, I can't do this for much longer, and there yet there are people who are older than me, or like, you don't have a fucking choice. <laughs> like, you yeah. ha- and are doing stuff like that 60 hours a week. Yeah, I mean, and you can only pick up a keg so many times in your life before you're like, hey, my back. Not going to do that more than another five times, so pick them wisely, guys. Yeah. Like, um, and, and, and that's really what reality is, is that there is a difference between being in these industries, and it's, I think it's the thing I was trying to illustrate, is there's a difference between being the stereotypical college kid who gets this job and they work themselves through college and, you know, they're going to get up and out. They have that hope. Um, they're not having to marshal all of their energy against the day that they're 60 and still doing this. Uh, it looks different when you realize that this is likely going to be it. This is, this is what you do, and it's what you're going to be doing, and it's what you're going to carry on doing. And if you're very, very lucky, maybe you make it into an office. Maybe. And even then, you're going to be putting in insane hours for very little money. Um, but hopefully you're not the one lifting the kegs anymore. And when not being the one to lift the kegs is what you have to look forward to in life, it's no wonder we're so damn angry. And if you read my reviews, the reviews of the book, one of the things that seems to stand out to everybody is Linda Torado is really pissed off. Like, this bitch is crazy mad. Um, and, And I don't understand why anybody would think that that wouldn't be the case. Why wouldn't you be angry? Yeah, it's it's interesting that I feel like we have a very strange response to anger these days. Like it's a bad thing, and it's like oh, like it's and it's like you sh- people should be pissed off. There's a lot of things to be pissed off about in our society, and we're told like don't be angry. It's not constructive, and it's like I'm pretty sure Martin Luther King was pretty fucking pissed off. He just you know funneled it in the proper sense it's it's like why oh my god if one more person mentions mindfulness to me i think i'm gonna punch him in the face yeah i just i can't like okay well let me stop and count to 20 and then when i open my eyes maybe i'll have gotten a raise (laughs) you do realize i'm angry because of things that are literally outside me right like i'm and it's oppressive, and it's insulting, and it's patronizing, and it's ridiculous to tell somebody who's in an objectively bad situation with not really many forces to go forward and being blamed for that situation and being told they're not worth anything, you should be a little happier about life. Everything would be fine if you just, you know, make amends, make your peace with it, um, and, and then everything will be cool. Don't try to control the things you can't control. Don't be upset about them. Well, dude, I'm, I'm actually an American uh, and not a zombie, 
And I do not accept my allotted role from the central government. Thank you very fucking much. Like, that's not how we roll here. You can't tell me you want me to dream of better, but also be totally at peace with working at McDonald's for the rest of my life. Like, that, those two things cannot happen. So fucking pick one and tell me which I'm supposed to do. But if you want me to be content, then you have to stop telling me I need to want more, and you have to stop telling me that I'm doing things wrong. Because if you want to know, I smoke weed so that I'm fucking content, man. That's why you smoke marijuana. Like, anybody, I don't care who you are, take, pick your drug. You drink a lot of whiskey so that you're fucking content with your shitty life, man. Like, stop it. <laughs> I don't. I'm so sorry. I'm rambling at this no, point. No, but, no, oh no, God, no. The, the mindfulness thing gets me every time. I'm like, mm, I don't think you understand what you're talking about. That's that's a that's a a luxury, and I don't. It's it's amazing to me because while you're saying that, it's amazing to me how people just don't understand poverty if they haven't been there, and and I've noticed too that a lot of my friends who've become successful and make a shit ton of money quickly forget what it's like to be broke. And it's a very bizarre thing to me how quickly people forget it, or if maybe they choose to forget it because they now think they're above it, or I don't know what. But it's like it's baffling to me. And I think that your brain. I I was so I was in London and I gave a talk at the London School of Economics. Which holy shit, I got to tell a Margaret Thatcher sex joke um, at the London School of Economics. That's totally a thing that got to happen. Um. And and then I went to a school uh, called the University of East London, um, and it's more of a community college. It's made up of a largely immigrant population, um, and I had no idea of the background of the school. Um, and so they tell me, you're going to give a talk about poverty and health, and I'm like, okay, great. And I show up, and my normal, my normal speech is assuming that I'm speaking up. I'm speaking to middle and upper class people and having to explain all of these very basic, like, if you work two jobs and you go to school, you don't get to sleep very much. Here's what a lack of sleep will do to your brain. So please stop blaming us for not sleeping. Um, and, and I walk in, and it's a room full of basically immigrants that are, you know, twice my age. And I looked at them, and I was like, well, I ain't got a damn thing to tell you you don't already know. Um, and, and we got to have a really good conversation about not blaming yourself and, and how to deal with, with unfairness and anger, um, without kind of blowing your stack. And they asked me, what's going to happen to you now? You know, are you going to forget us? And, and what I told them was, I am going to go out of my way to forget what it's like to be cold and miserable and hungry. Because why would you hold on to those memories if you had a chance to let go? The, the key is to not forget how much luck went into my being able to forget. And to, to keep in mind the totality of what I'm forgetting. And to understand that it's a luxury not granted to many. And, and if you can do that, then I think you manage to, to not turn into one of those assholes that thinks that you fucking bootstrapped it. And I'm actually really lucky to have been come up the way that I did because I didn't work for it at all. Like, the Internet literally pointed at me one day and said, you're it. You're up. Let's go, kid. And, and a year later, I'm on a book tour. So um, for me, it, it's blind luck. Uh, and it would be hard for me to forget that. But I think that if I come up slower, you know, it might be easier. 
for me to say, well, I worked really hard in this job that sucked, and then I, you know, wisely moved between jobs and marshaled my resources, and I got myself here. So. Yeah, it's. I was the bootstrap theory and the the uh, American dream. Is it like like the American dream now? It seems like a lot of people feel entitled to like ah, it's just going to happen. It's like I'm one hundred percent certain I will never own a home, and or get to a certain level. But it's like, and you can work as hard as you know. They say if you work hard enough, you could be whatever you want. It's like it's not fucking true. I watched my father work hard his entire life and pretty much stay fucking broke. Right. I think that a lot of people actually, I get asked a lot, like, well, you must feel amazing, or, or isn't it great? You're kind of the personification of the American dream. And I'm like, that's kind of a giant fucking nightmare. Are you, are you really telling me that the hope that the working classes should have is that one day they're going to go viral, or that they're going to win American Idol, or they're going to be LeBron, and otherwise go fuck yourself? Like, that's the American dream now? I, I, as far as I'm concerned, the American dream is you show up to work every day and you're able to provide a life for your family in which you can not only put dinner on the table, you have time to eat it with them too. And that the promise of the American dream is that on top of that, if you are lucky and you are skilled and you are uniquely talented and you have ambition and drive, then you can be anything you want to be. It is possible to work up to anything you want to be, but to count on that and to say, like, that that's what you're supposed to be striving for. I mean, again, it comes back to math. Like, okay, well, you know averages exist, and, and so if there are above-average people that can get above-average outcomes, the fuck are you doing for the half of America that might not be above-average? That, that's how math works. Again, guys, with the math. Like, averages are a thing. And for every person who is born with innate drive, ambition, and talent, there is a person who is born fairly complacent and pleased with a quiet, small life. That's, that's how these things work. So to say, like, well, I mean, everybody in America is above average. Oh, good. I see we're vanity-sizing brains now. That's great. Uh, yeah, it's... It's so weird that we b- blame people for their f- for being poor in this country. It just it's the one thing I could not get over while reading that. I mean, like I mean, I was aware of it, but it's like while I was reading that book, I was getting pissed off because I was like, God, we just shit on people who need some help and and are having a hard time. I just it drives me nuts. You know, it's not even that that we blame the poor. Uh, That, I think, is is kind of an expected human response. I mean, we do that when we're teenagers. It's very id um, to say, oh, well, you know, I'm better than you, um, and to put somebody else down so that you feel better about yourself. Um, I, I think it's just a sign that you haven't all the way grown up yet. What gets me is that when you go, okay, well, example A, and people will just go out of their way to tear individual decisions as though this isn't a problem affecting a third of the fucking country. It's 45 million people. You, there's no way that 45 million people are all incredibly stupid, okay? That's not how it works. There is no way that we are all that dumb. I'm not even saying there aren't some stupid people. There are definitely some stupid people, and that's fine. But 45 million people, not all that dumb. 
And and when you start to say, well, I mean, if you're in the situation, then here is the only way you can get there. You kind of got to go, okay, so we already know you can't do math. Clearly, you're not so good at history or humanities either. Um, I, I don't know what you did with your university education, guys, but it sure the fuck wasn't going to class because I have read all of your books. And your books taught me that these things happen in societies when they're structured a certain way. It's almost like people wrote all of this shit down the last few times it happened. You could go and read that and then come back and talk to me some more. Like, I, I actually have real trouble sometimes not being insulting when people are like, I call it rich explaining. I'm like, well, you know, if you just saved your money. And I'm like, okay, well, I saved my $5 a paycheck. I have $240 at the end of the year. Oh, my God, I'm rich. That's <laughs> uh, going to pull me out. That's uh, that's what that it's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? Um, you know, and, and it's like if you saw the modern thing, you know, he read out the McDonald's advice for, for their workers of, you know, two vacations a year will make sure well, it cuts your reduce of a heart attack. And and he hit me with that. And I just like I'm on I'm on HBO and I'm trying not to die laughing because I could not think of a single response. The whole, it was just so utterly ridiculous that I couldn't think, I mean, yeah, why, why didn't I think of just taking two vacations a year? My God, it's not like I spent all of my time dreaming of maybe my first adult vacation. I, I totally wasn't obsessed with that for 10 years. No. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea that we're just choosing not to take vacations. Are you fucking kidding me? I can't believe. I don't even get to pee. Does the, does the, Corporate heads at McDonald's, are they just that fucking out of it that they have no idea that their employees struggle to make a living? It's, like, absurd to me. Um, well, to begin with, when you're talking about fast food, um, no, they understand, um, but they are cushioned a bit by the franchise system because McDonald's corporate doesn't pay wages. McDonald's corporate licenses their brand and maintains the menus and the branding, and franchisees pay for the, the luxury of being a McDonald's, and then they're the ones that take care of wages. So a McDonald's might not even, the corporate might not even know uh, what employees are being paid from market to market. Um, and, and that's one thing I think a lot of people don't understand. But secondly, you have to understand how many fucking interns there are in any office. And so what happened with some ad exec or some, you know, morale exec or whatever was like, you know what we should do? We should help these guys out because clearly they're just not taking care of themselves very well. Let's give them some tips for healthy living. And then they handed that off and it got delegated five steps down until you have like some asshole from an Ivy who got, you know, a sinecure internship who literally looks the thing up on Google, puts it together in a spreadsheet, sends it over to the design guys, the design guys make it, and then they get it sent out. And at no point is anybody actually stopping to say, this is fucking ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And and it's, it's how these things happen, man. Like, it's It's been amazing, actually, kind of watching the number of steps and the number of people anything has to go through. And what I've come to uh, understand over the last year is nobody's ever responsible for anything because there's always somebody they got it from and handed it off to. Like, there's literally no place the buck stops in most corporate joints. That's interesting. Now, do you have – what are your plans – what are you going to be doing 
next? Uh, are you working on another book or? I, I am. I am definitely working on another book. As it turns out, it's incredibly amusing to take a poor person, put some nice clothes on them, and drop them off in Plankville. Um, it, uh, it has led to a few wry observations. Uh, and, and more importantly, I think one of, the, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently, and every time I do an interview and say, yeah, I'm writing a book and I'm thinking about this, um, it's a different thing that I'm thinking about. So today, the book that I'm writing um, is uh, kind of the response to the last chapter of my last book. Um, because what I find is people, people will stick with me through all the fuck words. They will stick with me through the sex chapter. They will stick with me through the drug use and whatever the hell else I put in the book. But you get up to that last chapter where you start mocking the little dogs, and that is a bridge too far, my friend. We will have none of that. Um, and, and I've never met so many people with such an utter lack of sense of humor about themselves. Like, you can't poke fun at these people. They take themselves very seriously. Um, and, and so that is leading me to want to poke more fun at them. It's a- but this time, at least I'll be explicit and just be like, okay, guys, this following paragraph is actually a joke. It is done for satirical and parodic purposes only. Any resemblance to an actual person, I mean, like, I'm actually going to put that display. I'm stealing Robot Chicken's disclaimer, basically, and, and, and putting it directly on the front cover of my book. Um, and I don't even know if we're allowed to do that, but I'm going to damn well try. Uh, because I, I just, at a certain point, I'm like, I, I, I mocked your face creams, for God's sake. <laughs> I was astounded by that. Pearl face cream. I was just like, go. F-. Like, that to me, I'm like, why would you, why? <laughs> I, 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 mm, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I went through a period where I, I kind of experimented with all of this stuff because I really wanted to know, does it make that much of a difference? Like, you can tell a wealthy woman from a poor one at 20 paces by how baby fine her skin is, right? Um, and, and there are all of these really kind of class markers that are very subtle but visible, um, and so I, I wanted to see what are they and how does one go about classing up? Like, how do you go undercover as a rich person? Like, what, what is the costume? What do you actually need? And what's, like, some crazy bullshit that they just buy because it's for sale? Um, and, and as it turns out, there are some things that are ridiculously overpriced and worth every penny. Pearl face cream, not one of them. Not one of them. I have no idea what the point is. But somebody did give me a bottle of 24 karat gold, or at least it had, had gold in it, um, and it's some kind of face peel, like it's acid with gold in it that you put on your face, and it eats your skin away, and um, you really do come out of it looking, you know, five years younger, but you have to be okay with putting enzymes on your face that eat your fucking skin. And I, I did it once for science, uh, and, and that was the end of that, because it, it knows whether it's on your face. It won't work on your arms, your hands. It only works on your face, and I am uncomfortable with the idea of any the bottle knowing which part of my body it's on and then eating my skin. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm afraid that I have not continued to take five years off myself once a week as directed. Uh, is it the last chapter the one that you also address uh, anti-vaxxers? Cause... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I recently read an article about anti-vax bullshit in Los Angeles, and the biggest areas that are anti-vax, it's like the Pacific Palisades. It's all, it's all like, Richie areas, and I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like, shouldn't you people know, like, how'd that disconnect... <laughs> It's like they should have doctors telling them don't fucking do this. It's very strange that it's a richy, it's a rich person's fetish. It, it's not really a fetish. They, they, no. Um, I, I would no. I, I'm gonna go ahead and call it a fetish. And I say this as a person who works on the edges of the sex industry because to me a fetish is a strange thing that you have a weird attachment to that you can't explain that makes no logical sense. Um, and not vaccinating your children fits all of those things. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and use the word. Um, but no, it, it is. It's actually a thing that, that is popular amongst the wealthy. Um, and part of it is that they really think they're smarter than doctors now. I actually started to look into it because it fascinated me. Uh, and, and what doctors are saying is, is people will go and read the Google and then feel as though they have some idea of what's going on, which means the following things. A, wealthy people are so goddamn deluded they think they're fucking doctors. And B, they have not yet learned that everything on the Internet isn't true. Uh, which, okay, rich people, I will be the first to tell you, you cannot believe everything you read on the Internet. It's like, uh, it's the wealthy person version of those Onion stories going around on Facebook and everybody gets outraged. You're like, <laughs> you do realize it's the Onion, right? I love like. I just like the abortion complex. That was my favorite. Um, and, and, and it really is. I'm just like how I, I, I'm just continually bemused. I guess I'm going to say I'm continually bemused that people this goddamn stupid rule the world. Um, and, and God bless them for, for trying. Uh, and it's certainly not everybody. But when it comes to, you know, we eradicated polio and you're bringing that shit back. Like, maybe you don't want to bring polio back, guys. It went poorly the last time. Uh, but then, you know, you have Ebola and five people die, and it's like the end of the fucking world, and we throw $5.3 billion at it. Um, I, I just I don't understand how, on one hand, you can be like, whooping cough sounds like a thing we should have back in society. I miss rickets. Like, scarlet fever was awesome. Like... I, I, can can we get back? You know, any any of these diseases really, we miss them. Um, and and on the other hand, be like, let's cure Ebola with a vaccine. I don't. Okay, whatever. I, I often w I wonder how much of it is their ego as well. Like Jenny McCarthy is like, oh my kid can't have autism. It couldn't have come from our genetics. Our my precious beautiful. It's like it must be something else outside of you know, like it's. There's nothing could be wrong with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know Jenny McCarthy, I, but I know that at one point she thought it was a really good idea to be on MTV. So her judgment's always been a little <laughs> bit in question. Uh, um, I mean, so I'm, I'm willing to give Jenny McCarthy a pass because I just have, have always kind of been like, mm, I don't know how your brain works. 
Um, but, you know, one of my best friends uh, is a single mom. Her daughter is severely autistic. Uh, she's raised her alone. And uh, it's, I, I guess I have compassion for, for the need to find a reason. I can understand that, even if your reason is batshit insane and harmful to all of America and somebody should really stop you. Um, I, I can understand a little bit wanting to be able to point to a thing and say that's what caused this um, and, and here's how we fix it. Because if you can find a cause, you might be able to find a solution. Um, but, you know, at the same time, fucking whooping cough people. Like, you, you do realize there's a death rate for that, right? Like, de death rate, just saying. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like you should just, you know, vaccinate your children. The other thing I don't understand is people go to, like, faith healers or, uh, like, people will, will do a kind of herbal medicine. Like, there's an awful lot of alternative medicine that's covered by insurance. Like, we don't have science or something. Um, I, I really just find that people encourage me to get into STEM fields, but then they don't like math or science, and it worries me. Yeah, it's 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 uh, my fiance's uh, parents are creationists, but it, and it's just weird how some people will like buy into certain science that's convenient, but then they'll just completely ignore a whole shit ton of it because it goes against some of their beliefs. It's well, I mean, when it, when it comes into religion, listen, I was raised, I, I went to uh, a conservative uh, Baptist school for most of my elementary and junior high, and then we moved to Utah and we were Mormons. So uh, when it comes to religion, I'm going to say those people are pretty good at picking and choosing what they want to listen to. <laughs> Very true. Um... And God bless them, because, you know, I, if, if you happen to have faith and that's the thing that gets you through, no problem, honey. I go to thrash shows. But, uh, you know, to each his own. But, you know, anytime you get into uh, religious people picking and choosing, I'm like, yeah, they're pretty well trained at that. And you, you got to be able to do that to take any actual whole book and be like, all of this is gospel truth. Even the contradictory parts. Let's just not look at the Old Testament ever. Um, well, uh, to, to wrap it up, where can uh, people find all your, your splendid things, your books, your book? Yeah, um, it's uh, on Amazon. Uh, you can definitely go there and find it. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Killer Martinis, uh, and and that's about it as far as uh, public facing at the moment. I do have a website um, that I'm hoping to start updating soon. It's called BootstrapIndustries.com, um, and and that is a place where. The the point that I keep running into is people keep saying like, oh, it's just you. Like, that was just your experience. And I keep going, nope, it's pretty broad-based. Like, my, my reactions are my own. My thoughts are my own. The working conditions are not. And the pressures that we feel are not. They are shared by millions of people. Um, so my goal is essentially to get a bunch of people to just write it down and say, well, here's what it looks like from my perspective, and here's how I react, and here's why I do what I do. And then when people look at me and say, it's just you, I can say, ha, 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 here's 5,000, carry on, bring me the next argument. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, yeah, if, if you understand any of the things that we've been talking about, write me. Um, you can find bootstrapindustries at gmail.com. 
um, and and tell me what it is, and we'll get it put up, and and hopefully get people to to shut the hell up when we say, but you don't get to judge, um, and and convince them that they really really don't, because that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and and since we've been swearing our heads off for radio, I can say this: what it comes down to is I'm not even looking for a raise in the minimum wage, like that's so far up Maslow's scale for me. What I'm looking for is you look at us and say thank you instead of fuck you. And if we can get to that, then everything else kind of comes into line. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that because the whole because t- I've been wondering like how it seems like such a uh, difficult uh, mindset to change and uh, from the you know and. I feel like if people's voices get heard, maybe then we can change some of this bullshit, but it's, you know. Well, look, it comes down to this. There's no way to make the change unless you have an awful lot of money or you can make them not be able to ignore you anymore. Um, And they gave me the book deal, and that's all well and good, but it sure as hell ain't changed the world money, Um, which leaves me the option of getting as many people as I can. And we know this works. We're seeing it. Um, you know, workers are, are actually sitting down on the job. More importantly, we're seeing it in places like Ferguson. We're seeing it with a national response for Black Lives Matter. 170 cities shut down three months after Ferguson um, popped off. And, and to see that kind of change and that kind of disruption is really heartening to me because we can bitch and moan and scream and complain and talk amongst ourselves all we want, but until it starts to fuck with their money, ain't nothing going to change. So if we can get everybody to just refuse to live without dignity anymore and to assert their own humanity and say, hey, it stops here. It stops here. You're not allowed to use me like this anymore. If we can do that, then we can make the change. And it's going to happen. It's got to happen. It's just a question of how many more people have to be brought this low before that critical mass happens. Awesome. Thank you very much, Linda. Oh, no trouble, man. It's been a blast. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm going to ask you a huge favor. Go to my Amazon link on feralaudio.com, and if you buy things, buy it through the Amazon link. Donate money if you can. Follow me on Twitter. Go to my website, themattdwyer.com. And you have a good day. I love you. Feral Audio. the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.